Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, Asia Tech Podcast. The start, we are the start number three, the nuts and bolts advice of starting a business. Obviously, of special interest to founders looking at Asia as well. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio by my friends Dennis Poe and Gustavo Liu. Dennis, how are you doing? Good. How about you guys? Fantastic. Gustavo. Hi, Graham. Hi, Dennis. Como estas, Gustavo? Muy bien, muy bien. We can flip in and out of any language you choose today. Now we've got Gustavo and Dennis on the table. Yes. Uh, let's yep. talk about that. One of the things uh, obviously people ask us a lot about in our day jobs, so to speak, and also through the podcast mm. as well, is about this whole idea of founders. And, you know, exactly, you know, who, who founders are, you know, whether you should have a co-founder, what's the right situation, so on. Because this is possibly the most important part of the business to get right. And, you know, that chemistry of the founding relationship or, you know, if you, you decide to do it on your own as well, we talk about that, you know, is really the, the shape of the business in years to come. I want to start by uh, asking you, Dennis and Gustavo, about this data that came out this week. So this was a survey by MIT. I don't know if you saw this survey, but it was a survey about startup founders. And basically what they did was they asked... Uh, you know, well, they surveyed startup founders and they, they asked them what their average age was. Now, if you watch, uh, I don't know, have you seen the, the social network, the movie, Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah we've seen it, right? <laughs> uh, I've seen it on the flight a couple of times at least. And I, I think that, that that sort of is the image, isn't it, that people have of a startup today. It's, what, 19-year-old, 20-year-old guys? And they're always, they're always guys, right? And, you know, they, they start together, you know, they're 19, and by the time they're 20, they're billionaires, right? Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. That's kind of the myth, isn't it, that there is out there. The reality, what do you think the average age was according to the MIT survey? Do you want to take a guess? Mm. Well, what would well, that, that, that definitely seems to be the myth, right? Like, right. 20, like the early, sort of the very young age, 19-ish college dropout i guess mark zuckerberg did a great job at <laughs> stereotype he did yes 19 um, what, what, okay so i know actually let's just uh get to the point uh, you know the answer because you've read this story what, what do you think people say what do you think the average age is in in the public's mind and the media's mind of a startup founder probably the, you, yeah. the young 30s sort of thing yeah. i guess it's always been uh, uh, how how the the impression is made, I guess, of like, oh, startups, energy, yeah. young, and then when you reach a point, you know, you exit, and that's around, like, uh, say, 30, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you haven't yeah. done it by 30, you're a loser, basically. Yeah, that kind of thing, like, oh, you're turning, uh, you know, oh, or something like that, but yeah. it's not just that case, I guess. Yeah. yeah but I also think that there is a, um, uh, a view from like the fund, the, the funders, right? The investors, mm. Mm. usually VCs and angel investors, they rather look for somebody who is younger and and more energetic, and they know that they've they've they will they still have a lot of years to go through right. a lot of time and hard work, as opposed to looking for somebody who is older. So that image is also contributes to um, the overall perception of yeah. entrepreneurs being younger. Yeah, it's a perception, isn't it? Because I mean, I talk a lot to investors on Asia Tech Podcast and you talk to investors every day. I think as well, you find that investors 
actually prefer older founders for a number of different reasons, don't they? I mean, they, they know that the older founder has got a bit of life experience. They know what's broken. You know, if you've worked 10, 20 years in a, a large corporation, you, you know what doesn't work. And you've also got some experience as well. So th- there is that side of it as well. And I think there's a story to get out there. So let, let's get to the point. The MIT data. So MIT Sloan professor, Pierre Azoulay, I hope I got that right. And his PhD student analyzed 2.7 million data sets, so people, and of companies founded between 2007 and 2014. And they found the average age of founders who started a high-growth company was 45 years old. What? <laughs> yeah, that is about right. Yeah. Um, uh, based on my understanding, dealing with a lot of um, companies in in the U.S. and Europe, it seems like the actual world distribution is around about over forty. Mm. Um, but in in Asia, Singapore, um, it's twenty nine. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. there you go. Well, Dennis, you yeah. were surprised by that. I mean, let me ask yeah. you a personal question. How old are you, Dennis? Um, 29. <laughs> 29, 30. <Ta-da>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 29. Yes. All right. All right. So you, you still got, you, you're right in the sweet spot. Hey, you know, this is the interesting thing. I don't think it makes much of a difference is that um, the average age of founders who started a high growth company was 45. The average age of entrepreneurs who started a company with only just one employee. So that could just be, you know, I guess that's a less successful startup was 41.9. So, you know, it's between, between 40 and 45 I think it was Singapore is younger, maybe because that's a, an evolving market thing, you know, like where the startup market is a lot newer in Singapore. So therefore, younger people are more likely to, you know, get involved. In years to come, older people will get involved. And by the way, I'd just like to share, I am 45 years old. So I am the target market for high growth entrepreneurs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, wrong market. <laughs> you're right there. You're, you're right there. Yeah. yeah you're right there, man. I'm 38. Yeah. I'm I'm just like exactly the same under the same bracket. Right. There you go. <laughs> Middle aged guys. So, I mean that that, that was right. the, that was the conclusion. Primary finding of successful founders is that they are middle aged and not mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. do you think that is? What do you think the reasons for that are? And you know, why do you think we also have this myth about? startup teams these being these young guys in shorts and sandals well, think, they, yeah uh, oh, oh sorry just just thinking about it like um um for over the past two years i've been meeting startups and you know through uh in different like programs accelerators and stuff it's always more of like a plus five or minus five around my age right uh so i think i think and, and what they always display is like this oh you know nothing gonna stop me um that like like uh this is what i thought of uh, you know, uh, way to go and stuff like that. But when I mean that's that's what I guess is like this. Um, could I say like the uh young entrepreneurs sort of bring bring uh, forward to mm. that that sort of uh that sort of uh, ideas or that, that attitude and stuff like that. But we're talking about like say uh probably like mid thirty or like going thirty. Uh, entrepreneurs, right? You know, we've been through some some uh, ups and do- down, and yeah. uh, probably running a few startups and things like that. But then, then you give this like, I guess, could I say more more church of? Uh, yeah, you absolutely education? can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not sure how, um, in terms of like deterministic these data are, mm. um, because I feel like 
this is a lot more relevant in terms of um, games of exceptions. I mean, I, I wish I could say that, you know, all the startup founders are uh, under 29 or, or if you are like all over 40, mm-hmm. like you make great startup founder over the US. Um, a great example that I like to use that I heard in, in A16Z was that, you know, the in 2004 alone, right, we had uh, Mark Zuckerberg, which was 20 years old, a dropout college, never yeah. worked a day in his life, um, mm. and goes off to, and never had a startup before, and goes off to found Facebook. And then the same year, we had Dave Duffield, who is uh, 68 by then, and is gone to found his seventh startup. Um, and he, you know, Workday, and at that year he launched Workday. So it's really, I think, it's more about game of exceptions mm. rather than like actual age um, per se. That's interesting. Dave Duffield. So he, he was the guy, the PeopleSoft guy, right? Was that? The yeah, guy? Integral Systems. Yeah. Right. How much is he worth now? I mean, he must be what in his seventies now. Yeah. Is he still he, at it? Is he still working? Well, 2004, he was 68, so... <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, he, 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 I, he's worth billions, for sure. That, that's interesting, exactly. isn't it? You know, that, so that mm. kind of skews the entire sort of age yeah. range. Right, right. <laughs> Why do you think we focus on the, the young guys? Why do you think they get all the glory? Well, interesting that I, I was just having this conversation with a VC, and they were, he was talking to a founder that was well in his 50s. And he said that there was no way that their company was going to invest in in them um, because he of his age, right? He unless no he's a, serious, right? Exactly. Like he, they were, he needed him to find a co-founder. So here is the interesting thing: finding a younger. If you have, if you are both fifty in Asia, like the way to go around it is to right. find a young co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> Did he actually, I mean, don't obviously, you know, these are private conversations, but, you know, just so we know, was that, um, you know, you don't have to name names, I don't want you to, but that, did they say they wouldn't invest in them because of his age? Was it? That was exactly the words. Um, But why why is that? Why? Because the when you when you are the older, especially if you come out just from the corporate world right. and you haven't had experiences doing startup, right? So there's no proven track record that you can actually um, grind through the difficult times. And are you going to? How do I know as a VC or as an investor that when I put money on your company, yeah. if you run through like difficult times, you're just not going to drop out of this project and right. then go back to your corporate um, world. And that is a risk that the VCs aren't willing to take. Whereas if you're somebody who is young and you have pretty much nothing to lose, right? Yeah. Um, you're more likely to put 110% in, in running your startup. Right. I mean, this is, again, this is one view, right? But um, it is generally the perception for, for entrepreneurs, investors, especially investors that put money on early stage startups. Mm. I see. That, that so is- I think... Go on, Dennis. Don't let me cut you Sorry. off. I, I, um, I think what Gustavo uh, mentioned is quite interesting, but like, like how you look at it is risk on both ends. You're talking about uh, risk of no experience and also yeah. you're talking about risk of too much experience and then probably you know, for, uh, drop off from there. So, well, I, I mean, definitely it's, it's more uh, centric towards the, the investors itself uh, how, from how they look at uh, the, their points. But I, I I find very interesting. It's just you know, is it lesser or both evil or or what? You know, that sort of thing. Mm. 
Well, I mean, look at the risk side of things that you, you talk mm. about, Dennis. So, you know, from, from an investor's standpoint, what is the risk? I mean, if you're, if you're risking your money on a 19-year-old startup, you know, you're probably, like you say, I can understand why, like Gustavo says, why they may see that as less of a risk because that startup founder can, can probably last a lot longer. They've got less to lose. You know, yes. they're not likely to six months in where they still haven't earned any money. They're not likely to turn around and say, oh, by the way, you know, I've, I've got school fees. I've got a mortgage to pay. I'm out. Right. With a, right. With a startup founder who's in the 40s, that, that's, that, you know, that's realistic. And it ain't cheap in a place like Singapore. Right. So that could be why they, they look at the younger ones and think oh, that's a lower risk. But at the same time, I think the flip side of that is that, you know, if you take, I mean, I'm talking my own position here, right? I'm, I'm speaking for old guys, right? And old women as well. So, <laughs> you know, forgive me, but I think, you know, somebody who's got 20 years of or more life experience, you know, A, A they know people. So they're not sort of coming completely new without contacts, right? You know, Absolutely. They can bring a whole bunch of contacts to the table. They're not sort of needing to be handheld all the way through. B, they, they may have experience in startups themselves. They may... You know, if they've done, for example, let's say they've done 10 years in a, an investment bank or any, any sort of financial background, they have contacts, they, they know what's broken. You know, you often see people who work in that world for 10, 15 years come out and say, you know, I fully understand how corporates think and I understand what they're doing wrong. Therefore, I want to fix it. And they, they come up, you know, they set up their, their startup and they've been trained. They haven't been bankrolled by the VC they be, or the, the, the investor. They've been bankrolled by their employer for 10, 20 years to learn that stuff, right? So Absolutely. I think, I think what you are referring to is the edge, right? That yeah. somebody who has experience has that edge that is different from a lot of the startup um, and the, the, the other guys um, because of that connection and that experience. There's, um, but the other aspect that when you, when they are doing the investment, they're also looking at the fact that when you are, when you're younger, um, you're easier to be shaped. Yeah. Um, you're more coachable. Um, whereas when you're more experienced and, you know, especially with, with folks that are over 50, um, there, that, there's that impression. No, I'm just generalizing here that they're more jaded. Yeah. So I'm not sure how, how, what is your view on that? <laughs> that, that is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, we talked about languages, didn't we, offline? about right. <laughs> you know learning new languages i suppose i gave away you know that it was harder for me being an old guy speaking language you know learning a new language and you said ah oh, that's rubbish you're right you know <laughs> in that way maybe we kind of get into um i'm not i don't know why am i speaking i'm speaking for old guys out there so I, was, I should i should be like the voice of them but i'm okay let me step out there a little bit yeah i, I think it's interesting you're you're right i mean maybe that that might be a uh, a sort of, you know, like an accelerator type model where they think they can kind of mold raw talent, you know, yep. and, and it's sort of maybe born out of watching things like the social network and maybe, you know, maybe as well, it's like they, they've got this idea that there's some sort of A&R guy for a record label who's just sort of like hunting out talent and molding these, like the next big thing. But maybe the reality is, like go back to Dave Duffield as an example. I think, I mean, I was just looking at the data whilst you were talking. He started his first business in his 40s. I mean, he started yeah. PeopleSoft at 47, sold yeah. that for 10 billion in cash. Amazing, isn't it? Right. Wow. So, you know, there you go. I and mean, what can we conclude from that? Well, I would say that in terms of age wise, the sweet spot 
it's probably not your teenager sort of high school dropout, right? That that it has nothing to do with like that hipster where you are sort of gambling your money with. Um, but at the same time, somebody who is well above um, past in their 60s, in their 70s, um, that risk is inherently also there. But you're absolutely right. That edge that they're able to co- to provide is absolutely priceless. Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, that conversation with that VC that I was having was actually to have a co-founding team, and which brings us back to the to the topic of co-founder, right? Which is where you have somebody with that edge that is able to complement, and then you have somebody younger um, who is who has the hustle that energy and it's able to be the face of the company. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting if we have any listeners out there who are in their 60s and 70s starting a business. We, I mean, obviously, it's not sort of traditionally on the radar, especially for startup investment as well, but we'd love to hear, you know, put us right. I think we just kind of need to get those stories mm. out there. Let's talk about that. Can we sort of... Um, I know, I know, conscious of the time. You, you, there's a, you know, continuing this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about that sort of stereotypical startup team where you have like the, the two young guys, you know, the founders. We're going to be billionaires, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I was there. To, oh, you were there. Okay, well, Dennis, yeah. let's put you in the hot seat first. Tell us a little bit okay. about because we want to talk about. Uh, I guess the second question we, we've we've asked, you know, what's the right age to start a business, and we've sort of you know looked at some of the data, but also, do you need to be co-founders because that seems to be the norm, doesn't it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the thing is, I uh, when I uh, when I started uh, my own company ages, um, I knew it was not something sort of like easy to handle because like it's like you no know, corporate services and stuff, right? It's sort of traditional things, but I wanted to add a twist to it. So um, I I did went to look around to see if uh, that you know like. Uh, that was like accountants that can you know think the same as me, trying to persuade them to come along and you know help me run run this together. So I thought that you know from that it's, it's really like nothing can stop me. Like uh, that there, there wasn't uh, a, a, a problems that I would think about like oh uh, co-founders problem never mind we will work it out you know sort of thing. Um, but then you know just down the road like probably a year or something you you know if. If uh, say the other co-founder is not, um, is not sort of like tuned to to what you're thinking and stuff, is is very difficult. So the thing is, then you know that's that's where I was thinking. Uh, um, well, I'm I might I might because uh, because of that I might be not lucky enough to that uh, that I get a co-founder. I have to run it. You know, I still have to go to that goal and stuff like that. So I guess that is sort of like uh, coming from a young. Uh, entrepreneur. So the, at that time, I was about like twenty-seven. So yeah, I I thought that point helped on on contributing to what you just talked about. I think co-founder, um, this co-founder you pointed out rightfully right. It's, mm. it's actually another way that I like to put it. It's very much like a marriage. So yeah. uh, first of all, like you need to ask yourself the like people that are considering to do a startup, you know, can they do it by themselves? Uh, do they need to find a co-founder to begin with? If the business and the the the, the issues that they're facing, you know, don't just go out there to find a co-founder for the sake of finding one just because yeah. you want to show to investors. I think you guys have explored that in episode one in quite a fair bit about some of the things that have fallen out from the co-founding agreement um, and how to 
you know, a lot of those things can go sour if you if you don't need a co-founder and you end up getting one just for the sake of getting one. Yes, I agree to that. Like, um, so the thing is that it's like probably at that time it's more like dating before really Absolutely. getting married. So dating mm. in a sense that like uh, we didn't have any agreements. I thought that was just like you know dating dating kind of thing, but it, it did come back and hunt me lah. I, I I believe so. Well, the thing. I like to usually do that. Like it's funny that you mentioned dating because it's it's sort of <laughs> like you wanna go on multiple dates. Um, you wanna date as many people as possible because you don't wanna put all your eggs in one basket. Um, and you wanna qualify them, right? And so you you also have to come up with certain criteria that you have in mind, right? Are you looking for somebody who had multiple divorces or uh. or, or multiple kids around, right? Mm. So the same thing goes for you know, is that gonna raise a red flag? So for a co-founder. You don't want to find somebody if it's not within your your sort of understanding of of somebody who has had many connections or is spread out with too many companies. That might be something of a red flag. But for other companies, right? For somebody who has uh, is more focused and is really on the goal of just founding one single company, that could be the the sweet spot. So it really depends on on like how many people you meet. And I also think that did you find that as many people you meet. You've actually re- where it was able to define your requirement for the co-founder. Yeah, actually, I think about it now. Uh, looking at it, I I I think you know it, it might be the agent thing. I'm not too sure. You you guys, I mean, like guess what? You correct me on that, okay? But I guess it's like it, it it's like you start off like casually dating, trying to find what you want to, you're trying to learn what you you like and stuff also. Then after that, eventually. You you go through backups and stuff. Oh, you figured ah, this is uh, I think this is the people I can work with. Or you know maybe I'm not right. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I might not be fitted to, or uh, the business might not be fitted in the sense that to find a partner and things like that. So it's like uh slowly you learn about that um over like a few times of like dating and breakups and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask what what's the crunch? I mean, how do you? We talked about dating. Let's put it in the context of dating. Is that you know, <laughs> date, dating's fun, and everything mm. everything's really good until you know what, what's the sort of crunch point. I mean, I, I sort of look back to my I don't want to share my dating history because it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's too long, and you know, but that point where you really understand whether you can get on with this person is maybe you know people say you know why don't you go for a weekend away or go travel somewhere. You know, if you go traveling with somebody. Like for example, you go on a holiday or vacation or backpack with somebody for a week. You really find out whether or not you can get on with that person. Yeah. I'm talking about dating because if you don't want to share the same bathroom, if they piss you off by leaving <laughs> their shoes out or you know their dirty socks everywhere, I'm talking about in the context of dating, but in in business as well, there must be some kind of what, what's the crunch point in business where you really get to you know you found that ah oh, I get it, I really I can get on with this person or not. I see. Uh, I I feel that is it, when it comes to I I guess also again on the context of dating, right? If it's like uh, it, it if it's always always one party's initiative, right? And you get sick of it, I think you know that you know that it's not going anywhere. It has cut. It has to come from both parties. It has to come from uh, everyone that's in in involved. Mm. You see, if if there is a point where you feel that you you're doing um too much or that sort of thing, that usually triggers sort of like the breakups. Yeah. I think there are two sides of the coins here. I mean, you have somebody, you could have somebody who you've been work hanging around, um, and you know there there are many instances where best friends become 
sort of partners, right? And they ended up getting married. But then at the same time, you also have situations where best friends get together and then they find out that, you know, they're not the best partners to, to start a company. So um, one way to assess that is really to, like, like you said, um, once you have had that relationship that you had before, when you're starting a whole new uh, business relationship, reestablish that. Make sure yeah. that expectations are in place. You know, are you looking to be just friends with benefits? Are you, you know, friends with kids? Are you going to bring your other lovers into the relationship? Um, all of that has to be put in place. So in the, in the context of a business-wise, how do you list that out? And um, having the legal aspect of it put in place, even though um, you were friends, is it makes it more important because now you're no longer going from a, gentleman handshake you're going to an actual agreement where you're going to start a business and both of you mm. are going to have a stake and capital in you know your heads will be on the on the table yes i i think the the part about the the tips about um re-establishing the relationship i think that's a good tip i i, I guess we all should sort of practice that is is something not uh in a sense uh, formal at the beginning also but I think it's a good sort of like a attitude, or I mean the mindset on around starting business together with friends and things like that. I I I think that's wonderful. Because one thing that you keep in mind is that it's it's easy to get together. It's you know it's it's not that expensive, but breakups are usually very the painful very, one. Yeah, <laughs> yes. painful. They cost a lot. <laughs> yeah, they cost. Exactly. That's for my point. When I look at it, when probably to add uh to that, like you know sometimes I help I do help to administrate breakups. Uh, so the part about that is that usually you 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 might get involved with the things about IP and things like that, you know, arguments and things like that. And that usually, you know, when the, you when you get the lawyers to come in, you know, it's gonna cost. So, well, this lawyers really come in forms of divorce or business breakup, right? Mm-hmm. There were several instances actually where um where. I mean, not just couples, but even businesses. We, if we do a direct comparison between relationship and businesses, the lawyers are often the ones that benefit the most out of that, that breakup um, in terms of monetarily speaking. At the end of the day, you might end up having two parties that are completely bankrupt mm. and <laughs> because of legal fees, right? Yes. I think that, that is a lot of waste. I mean, like you say, it's, it's, it's not expensive to start something actually mm. but it's quite expensive to you if you're you're talking about like sorting out things uh like like you know this is yours this is mine and things like that usually when you when you do that right you you can't do it by yourself so when the professional comes in you know i'm not just talking about lawyers i'm talking about probably if you're talking about that the business is doing well and you want to break it up right uh you're talking about uh like finance people coming in also and uh, accountants all queuing up. You know, they, you need them to get this sort this out and move on with life. So I agree. Like uh, you, you mentioned about that the uh, on the cost. Yeah. Can I can I ask about your experiences as well in going alone on you know versus being in a partnership? And I'll preface it a little bit with my experience is that I've done both. You know, when I started out in business in my twenties. I started with a best friend, didn't work out, but it was a, a lot of fun. We shook hands, walked away, and then I started another business with a co-founder. We had really good complementary skills. You know, I was making the widgets, he was selling the widgets. That worked out really well. Um, now that I'm older, I find 
I'm a bit more confident to go on my own and do things. And, and then I'm sort of thinking, okay, right, you know, maybe I need somebody, but not as a co-founder, but somebody in some capacity to help with these areas of the business as well. So, you know, have you sort of been through that decision where you, you've sort of, you know, looked at yourself and thought, actually, maybe I'm better off as a single founder? <laughs> when does it make sense? I, I think it, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, like, just about the story I shared, right? Probably the point you put it this way now, I think about it, you're, you're quite right. Now I feel more confident about running the business. That's why I thought. But I, I still think that we still need that sort of breakup so that you know that, you know, uh, in, in some sense, it helps to shape your business also that you figure, okay, this is probably the way to go, you know, at the end of the day, when you have like, uh, you contest on those points. So I think that is, uh, th- uh, probably you still need that, you know, the front part about, uh, you know, going through sort of like uh, co-founders then becomes sing- uh, single, you know, kind of thing. What do you think, Gustavo? Well, when I, when I first started, I actually started on my own. And I, I realized that, especially when you're trying to build a business that is, that is going to be eventually scaling globally, right? You do need to have uh, um, somebody to, to be contactable in, in a very different time zone, in a very different region, um, just because of where your client. So it really depends on what your business model is. I think if you, your business model is, is, is a model where you don't necessarily need a co-founder, but you do need some form of partnership of, or collaboration, establishing that network is so important. So in my instance, for example, where initially I thought maybe I didn't need a co-founder because I, it would be hard to find somebody of, of a similar expertise or, or, or complementary expertise who I could leverage off with. But then I realized that every time I was in the, in, in the West, um, everything that was happening here in Asia was put on a stop. And likewise, when I flew back mm. to Asia, everything else in the West was put and stopped. And so over time, I realized that if I could find somebody on the other part of the world, I could do so much more if I focus on just one single region. And eventually that led to me finding um, somebody who, who was in, in, the other, in the US and we, we started talking about um, collaboration there. Um, we started actually talking about having collaboration between these two companies, but that sort of eventually pivoted into us forming one single company. Mm. So I, I guess the chemistry that we needed to assess uh, um, whether we were rightfully for each other's co-founders took that much time as collaborators before we agreed to get married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. I, I think that's a good, good way to look at it. Uh, probably, probably the mindset if you to angle it to it's like looking at like a prop, like like a marriage, right? I think that could you know uh, um, help the founders. You know, this is mm. this is something that I guess sometimes we uh, m- most of us uh, nowadays are for more like ego to to you know like hey get let's get uh, get going towards that goal and stuff, and we just forget about it. You know, mm. this is in some in some sense it's a form of marriage. Yeah. You know, so. And and um, definitely, you know, there's a the repercussion that we want to be careful and things like that. But I, I think that is a good, uh, it's always a mindset, I guess, the attitude towards these sort of relationship and stuff. We, and if, just, we, if, if we forget about it, yeah. Right. And just to add on that point is that the fact that you, there are difficult conversations that you will end up having. Confrontation. <laughs> well, just conversations. Basically. Well, that's a marriage though, right? So that's Right, I mean. it's marriage. 
But then, like, you know, how do you sit down with your spouse and on the day that just like you've given her the ring, him or her the ring, right, for uh, for engagement? And then how do you sit down and say, okay, are we going to split the bills? Are we going to open a separate bank account, put all the finances in there? How are we going to deal with like the kids um, education payments? Who is going to take charge of groceries? All of that is very similar to how it, it, I had to go through with my co-founder. Even though we had so many months of collaboration and we knew we were the right, you know, we, we just sort of start this kind of collaboration, partnership um, conversation. But it was still very difficult to sit down on the table and say, how much equity are you going to take? Who Whose name are we going to use, right? Whose last name are you going to carry when mm. you get married? Um, and that was hard. I mean, as much as I knew my co-founder, I wanted, I mean, my company was my baby. Am I going to lose my company's name? But then at the end of the day, you have to look at what is best for the company as a whole and how do you leverage on each other's strengths and minimize each other, you know, build on each other's weaknesses to to overcome some of the challenges that you're going to face together as an entity. And that, that conversation needs to happen, but it's just so hard. And a lot of collaborations and partnerships fall out the moment when you start to put things on the table. Money. Yeah. <laughs> money. Equity. Equity, equity, money, ownership. Equity is like money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, o- the, yeah, the ownership is, is definitely one issue, like, I have a lot of people coming to, you know, consult me and stuff. You know, how should I, uh, how do I set, like, you know, how much I own this with my partners? You know, sometimes they all come to the, my office and then just, just discuss about it. I say, well, guys, this one, I guess it's more of like how you, you really set your responsibilities and things like that. Uh, I can't tell you, you know, at the start of business, it's very hard to say uh, what your effort contributed would be value add and things like that. It's not just about mm. valuation, like I guess, at the end of the day. So it's sort of, uh, you can you say it's a, like a pre nuptial agreement, <laughs> but mm. I think that is, uh, there's a good, good things, uh, good angle to look at things. Yeah. One analogy that I like to make is that we've had this really hard conversation between two founders who mm. were, who came together and they were best friends and <laughs> clearly okay. one of them wasn't, um, you know, it was flaky and wasn't meeting a lot of expectations. And we literally had to sit the other founder down and see how to fire um, that other co-founder. Um, it was a very difficult situation because if you look at it from a perspective of, if you are coming from a friend's perspective and telling your friend to split from their spouse or from your, you know, that's the last thing you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. As a friend, as an advisor. But in a business relationship, it's sometimes you just have to put your your foot down and say, is business is not personal, and so yes. if that person isn't meeting the expectations, is is actually causing a drag in your business. You need to look at what is best for this relationship. How do you do that? How do you, how do you you know how do you have a how do you vest that in a way that works for everybody? Because that must be you know without involving the lawyers, like you said, yeah, like a divorce. Having, mm. Well, no matter what type of conversation, having a moderator or somebody who is neutral to this entire relationship is helpful to a certain extent. Um, even if they were going to reach across the table and slap each other, <laughs> we still hope that, they, yeah, you still be able to be in the middle and say, okay, guys, let's be rational and think what is best for the business. Because 
when you have somebody who is not contributing and is in you know even worse dragging the company behind it could you could end up being having nothing so do you want to have a party where that exits um, in good terms and then they could go off to other opportunities while maintaining a small share equity in the company or would you rather like continue th this evil cycle of a relationship and then see the entire company sort of being mm -hmm. dragged down to like zero valuation so it, it's it's definitely something that you need to have a third party that is not emotionally involved because there's a lot of emotions even though it's business it, it just can't separate emotions from from the actual you know decision making i think that is an interesting point First of all, you're making like a moderator outside of that relationship. Yeah. Uh, personally, uh, well, I mean, uh, my tailor shop is uh, founded by three three co-founders. I think the number three is a very interesting uh, number in a sense that, you know, there's always, uh, I feel that, you know, when you have three parties coming uh, talking, right, then you, there's always someone that's more neutral. So like, uh, first of all, you're saying the moderator per se, right? Um, they are more of the so-called I mean, I, I think it's like the CFO of the business, you see. So I'm like, the, the they call me discipline master sometimes, okay. I, I don't approve their budget, they're, they're just like, oh, okay. You know, so the thing is that that makes sense. Uh, that is uh, uh, what I think I feel that I, I'm, I'm looking at, like I'm doing, you see. Uh, in, but that keeps the relationship going, you know, because there's days that it's bad days, uh, you know, you just want to put out things on the table and, and talk about it. Mm. But that, that's always more than, just that party itself is always another party in a sense. Although we are all like co-founders, but like uh, sometimes each of us acts as each other's uh, uh, um, moderator, I mm. guess. That, that's really that's, that's important. About, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this this collaboration, right, the, of three co-founders is usually like the 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 thing that a lot of VCs and, and investors are looking for. Like ideally, mm. it's three. Or, uh, three is like the 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 secret number, right? But yeah. <laughs> at the same time, um, we have this saying: you want to look for somebody who has who is very good at hustling, right? The hustler um, who is able to get contacts to to go out there and and promote your brand and get investors, talk to your your front facing guy. And then you want to have somebody who is the hacker, somebody who is really good at like um, putting the stuff together, the products together. Uh, if it's a tech company, somebody who is good at coding, who knows the, um, the, the tech architecture. And then the third guy is the hipster, the guy with the, with the vision, right? And oftentimes, like what you rightfully said in your, in your business relationship, then is, is that the hustler and the hacker or, or even the hipster could come in conflict because the hustler would be somebody who wants to spend more and, and, and he needs more budget. But yeah, the hipster has the money that wants to be used for growing the company and, and doesn't want to spend that much. He's always the one stepping on the brake on what needs to be spent. Um, so that, that um, collaboration can be very good, but also can, if it's not managed carefully, could be very damaging for the, for the, for the company. Yeah, I, I can I can see the the roles being sort of fitted in my scenario <laughs> for my 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 tailor business. I, I can I can see why what what you mean by that. But I think that is that that's the point that you you mentioned. You know, there's uh, different roles. Sometimes it feels that there's overlap. I in that sense, I guess. Uh, I don't know how how you guys think about this. Like, uh, 
probably sometimes you know I, I I thought oh you know I'm like carrying more than one role and it feels a bit lopsided things like that I I is that could that be things that you guys have uh, experienced before? Always. Always. <laughs> and and there's, there's a thing with a lot of startups, right? When when and with us working with so many startups um, over the years, like you could see that it gets to a stage. I mean, you get that grind stage, right? But then it gets to a stage where you kind of start to see a bit of momentum. But yet there's always that one or two people who is doing everything. So you have one head and 10 tentacles, right? Yeah. And everything sucks because it's just... <laughs> You have to do everything, and you just can't be everything. You can't do everything at the same time. So that is really when um, designated uh, designating work is really important. So it brings down to trust. How much do you trust delegating a particular task? And this is why that co-founding um, um, the uh, chemistry is so important because there are certain parts that you just have to say, "Well, I can't do that. It's not my expertise. I know I." I, I might not have control over this aspect of it, but I trust my co-founder that he would do a great job. And if he doesn't, he, I trust that he will come back to me and we'll find a solution together. I see. So, but uh, Christopher, can I ask you a question? So what do you think about, you, you mentioned about delegating. Generally, you know, co-founders, they sort of start business together. There's not like one party that's always the, uh, like say, I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of cases where uh, say all the co-founders say, I don't want to take take lead of the, the, the business, you know, I I, um, I let you make a decision or, you know, you're just pushing this around and then there's really not conclusive who's so-called the, uh, the the one dedicating and things like that. Uh, so what what do you think about this? I, I feel that this is a, a issue, definitely, uh, when you have like multiple parties as uh, in, in uh, the founding teams. Well, I've seen both cases, right? I've seen cases where the a particular person wants to take charge and they want to make all the decisions. So they automatically say, like the Hunger Games, right? I volunteer as <laughs> yeah. CEO, right? Um, <laughs> but then you also have like at the other coin, like or, or the other side of the coin where you, you are saying that the person does not want to be uh, making decisions because for every decision that you make, there is a responsibility and a liability that comes that is attached to it. And so a lot of people that are involved in other aspects of the business does not want to carry and they might be worried about the type of liabilities that we're carrying. I think this is the part where your expectations have to be set in place. And having that formal agreement is so important, right? Who is going to be the one signing on the legal documents? Who is going mm. to be the one putting, especially when you have companies, I mean, right, these days, every company has a bank account. So who is going to be the one signing on and off the bank account? Mm. And that is also the same person if there's an overexpenditure in the budget, if there's money missing in the bank account. Um, that person will have to answer to the rest of the of the other um, of the other parties involved. Um, so there's no a, a a right rule to like mm. how you would want to split this um, work. 
But I would say that look at what each other's strength is and what each other's workload for other entities are. There are co-founders that are already involved and liable for other businesses. That is probably not the person you want to be making decision for your business. But the, whereas if you have somebody who has a lot more time and is able to take care of the management role um, of the decision making, then probably you want to work together with that person. There are, again, many frameworks that you can put in place, you know, uh, in, in the form that that person can make a decision and the, all of us have a Agreed, but know the consequences of putting some of these things in place. For instance, if you have, if you every time you need everybody to agree on something, it could be a drag and it could be very time consuming. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. But I mean, the thing is, uh, so I, I, I think uh, I experience sort of things like this, like you know, the, it's just uh, nobody can sort of make a call, uh, and you, you, you're sort of stuck, you know. So the thing is, um. Yeah, but uh, in any case, um, Graham, have you have you ever uh, sort of experienced that kind of being stuck in decision making and stuff because of co-founders? Absolutely, uh, yeah. Know, it's real. I think people feel it, and it's real. It's it's a realistic part of being a co-founder. I, th if you experience that, then whether or not it's justifiable or whether or not you're you're right to think like that. The, the fact is, is you think like that and therefore it's a problem. You know, whether, whether or not the other guy thinks, you know, agrees with you, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So it's a problem it has to be dealt with and it's real. And I felt it and I, th you know, my, my thoughts are is that if that's the case, if you're thinking like that, then I wonder if it, it that's the business relationship. I don't think you can change it. If you're constantly thinking, oh, look, I'm doing too much in this business relationship, I don't think you can sit down and hammer that out. I think... It's time. Yeah. <laughs> it, you've got to change the relationship. Right. I see. And usually that is in, in your experience, the case is more, more of like, uh, how many founders are you? Yeah. So uh, I had a business where there were two founders. Are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I had a business mm -hmm. with two founders, um, my most successful business. But I will say this is that I, I you know, what I've learned, Dennis, is that mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if you go into a founder relationship at the beginning and you're doing it because, that person is free labor, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that it's not in any way a bad thing to say that, but that's kind of how we think it. Oh, we can both work on this for free. We're not taking any yeah. money out of the business. We can grow this business. But if that's what they're doing for you, like, okay, I can get this sales guy, he can sell for the business because he's free, then in time that will become a problem because they'll become, a, they'll, you know, if you're successful, there'll come a time when actually you can afford to pay for this. So why have you got this guy? Uh, you know, right. and therefore that becomes a real issue. So, you know, Gustavo's mentioned examples, like, for example, you, you would go into a relationship because they cover a different part of the world. You know, that's completely different. That's not free labor. That's because they bring something that you absolutely can't do. Mm. So, you know, um, you, you've got to ask yourself, I mean, if you're going to starting a business and, you know, you need a co-founder because you can't pay for stuff, then mm -hmm. in time that will create an issue. I see. I think that, that that's a good point. I definitely, I think the money aspect of it, um, it's always a question. Mm -hmm. And equity is, is it a, a, the best method of paying for services, right? We've had so many instances where, um, where startup entrepreneurs at very early stage would come to us and say, hey, I need to find a CTO right now. But when you ask a coffee chat, 
you realize that they just needed a landing page. So you don't really need CTO. Like, you know, you, your company isn't really in deep tech. Like, you, all you really need to focus on is how to outsource this. So let's look at different ways of, you know, raising funds. Is it going to be in Kickstarters? Is it going to be through, um, like, angel investors? You can always find a sleeping partner as well. But you want to find somebody who... Who, when you're looking for a co-founder, it's not just about building something for you because then you're looking really for an employee. When you're looking for a partner, mm. you're looking for somebody who potentially could be complimenting you or be better than you. And, and you should be comfortable letting that person wear the pants in the relationship if they, don't, if, if they decide that they, they, are, they, they can take this company to the next level. So that chemistry, finding that, that is just so bad. It's, I had to go through that personally to find that, even though we are covering different geographical regions. But before we decided whether we're going to be together, we had to like sit down and say, okay, you can't, like, we, you're not just using me because I can bring finance expertise into, into this thing. I can actually do far more than that. And you can see me go hand in hand together in terms of building your next business and the next business. And that is really the ideal kind of person you want to look for co-founder. And we've worked with so many entrepreneurs that have founded two or three um, businesses together. It's a very common thing. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.